you bow with me in prayer? Father, we ask that as we come to this time where we open up your word to study it, Lord, would you open up our hearts and minds to receive your word? Father, we thank you so much for the Holy Spirit. Lord, if it were not for your spirit here working, Lord, we would see words on a page and we may, uh, we may be able to walk away having learned things, but Father, we wouldn't be able to walk away having understood spiritual truths of your word, and we definitely wouldn't be able to walk away putting into practice the things that we learn. So, Father, tune our hearts to you in this moment. Father, tune our hearts to your holy word. Uh, Father, we just pray that you would penetrate deep into our souls with your living and active word. Father, if there be any unrighteous way in us, expose it, Lord. Father, if we need encouragement, encourage us. If we need to be challenged, challenge us. If we need to be brought to repentance, Lord, bring us to our knees in repentance. Lord, whatever you desire to do in and through your word, Father, we ask that you would do just that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was in college, uh, my freshman year at Clemson, and uh, had a roommate there in the dorm, and I think it must have been spring break or something, I can't remember, and we have been gone. And uh, got back, and of course, we had a little refrigerator there in the, in the, um, in the dorm room, and um, I, I used to drink orange juice every morning uh, when I wake up, and so I had me a half gallon of orange juice in my little refrigerator there in my college dorm room, and so uh, I got back from spring break or whatever kind of break it was, and opened up that refrigerator that morning, get me some glass of orange juice, and I opened up the top of it, and I smelled and it smelled horrible. And I thought, oh my goodness, what in the world is this? And so I did not even attempt to put that in my mouth. And, uh, but I wasn't done with the orange juice. I didn't pour it out. I had a good idea. Uh, my roommate came in. And I said, hey man, I said, you want some orange juice? He was like, not really. I said, you should try this orange juice right here. And, uh, and he said, okay. And uh, I don't know why he agreed to drink orange juice that he never even drank, but whatever. I said, I said, let me fix you a glass. So I poured him a glass. I handed it to him. I'm telling you, this stuff was spoiled bad. It stunk, but I don't know. He wasn't paying attention. And, um, and he just, just <laughs> put that in his mouth. And, man, the look on his face, he, thankfully he didn't spew it back in my face. I deserved for him to do that. But he didn't do that. Um, he took off running out of that room down the hall to the, to the bathroom as fast as he could. And it was the fun. It was one of the funniest things I've ever seen, um, and uh, and so nasty. I mean, just nasty. I, what probably happened is they probably turned the power off in the dorm, and that orange has been sitting there for a week with no power, uh, and uh, just just disgusting. Well, today I want us to look at a passage of scripture that reveals to us something so disgusting to Jesus that he spews it out of his mouth. This passage is in Revelation chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 22. Verses 14 through 22. I want to go ahead and read it, and then we'll talk a little bit about the context, and then walk through this passage together. This is God's Word. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. 
I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself. And the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is John writing the book of Revelation. This is a book that um, is written to seven churches in Asia. And it includes visions of the future. And it's meant to help them look forward to and be ready for the second coming of Christ. The refrain that we hear at the end of this book is, Come, Lord Jesus, come. It's a book to get us ready for that day. It's a book that's very practical in our lives as Christians. As we look here at this letter, he begins with with seven addresses to seven churches. And this is the last of the seven churches that he addresses, the church at Laodicea. Now, each of these uh, addresses to these seven churches have a, a similar format. In each of them, we find a description of Jesus. We find some sort of commendation where he says, hey, you're doing this pretty well, and uh, I'm glad about that. He gives them a rebuke. He says, this is something you're not doing well. He gives them a correction or, or a solution. Uh, this is what you need to do um, instead of what you're doing. <clears throat> and then he also has some consequences there, and he ends each of these addresses to the churches with, um, with a promise of blessing if they will do what he is calling them to do. Now, those are, all those aspects are found in pretty much all of these letters, but one difference with this letter is that there is no mention of commendation. There's no, good job, church at Laodicea, you're doing this well, but. He does that with all the other churches, the other six churches. He says, I'm glad that you're doing this, this is good, but. Here's an area that you need to work on. The church at Laodicea, he just jumps right in to what they are doing wrong. This morning I want us to see this, that we need to constantly allow Jesus to fill us with himself in order to remain zealous in our service to him. We need to constantly allow Jesus to fill us with himself in order to remain zealous in our service to him. This church at Laodicea, this, this city there in Asia, uh, they were a church. And a church is people that are Christians joined together in a local congregation. So, so this is going out to Christians, people who trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But Jesus is addressing them a very real problem in their church. I don't know if you've ever put anything in your mouth that was just absolutely disgusting. But you don't stop and say, hmm, the texture of this is really good. But the, the taste is just horrible. You don't, you don't think about anything that might be good about it. The only thing that's running through your mind is this tastes awful and I've got to get it out of my mouth. And that's Jesus' attitude toward this church. And we want to look at what it is that he is disgusted with. And as we do, we want to ask this question. Is Jesus disgusted with you? 
Is Jesus disgusted with me? What a horrible thing if we find that to be the case. Number one this morning, we find this, that Jesus is disgusted with lazy Christianity. Jesus is disgusted with lazy Christianity. There's all sorts of words that we could use to describe the problem of the church at Laodicea. And, and Jesus, Jesus doesn't mince for words. He jumps right in. He calls himself the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. <clears throat> and then he says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you are either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. The problem is that they are lukewarm. Well, what in the world does that mean? What does that mean to be lukewarm? Well, we know what that means when it comes to temperature, right? It means to be neither hot nor cold. If we didn't know that, we can observe that even from the words that Jesus uses. It's interesting that the city of Laodicea had a water problem. Uh, the, the, the river that ran near this city, it was, a, it was a bad river to drink out of. It was a murky water. It was bitter. It, it wasn't good for drinking. And so they had to pump water in, and it came through on an aqueduct uh, from about five miles away. Now, hot water is good, and cold water is good. Jesus is saying both of these things are good, right? Hot water is really good when you're cold, and cold water is really good when you're hot. But when is lukewarm water good? Jesus' point, not very often. This water that flew, would flow into the city, by the time it got there, it was neither hot nor cold. It was just lukewarm. So he's giving them this mental picture of something that they knew very real when it came to water. And he's saying, that's how you taste in my mouth. Lukewarm water really wasn't good for anything. It, it wasn't of any use. It could not be used in a way that satisfied. And Jesus is telling this church, the path that you are on is a path that leads to you not being of any use in my kingdom. Would that you were either hot or cold, but that you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. He's pointing to their Christianity and they have become apathetic in their Christianity. They've become lazy in their Christianity. They've become lukewarm. They've become indifferent about Jesus Christ. And he says, I will spit you out of my mouth. One of the ways that I like to think about this is, this is that they are, they are going about their Christian life half-heartedly. Half-heartedly. You ever do anything half-heartedly? Probably. I was out of high school not too long ago and sharing this passage uh, briefly with the, some of the students there. And I said, do you ever do anything half-heartedly? What do you think they all said? What? They, that's right. What? Say it. Say it. Somebody. One of y'all students, say it. What do you do half-heartedly? Homework. Yeah. Homework. Sorry, I've got allergies. My ears are kind of stopped up. I can't hear good. Homework. That's what you do half-heartedly if you're a student, right? I'm, I guess I would fall right in. I'm not telling you to do it half-heartedly. I'm just saying that's sometimes what happens. We do things half-heartedly. Well, I told them I'm out of the stage of life where I'm doing homework. Um, I'll start doing homework again when my kids get old enough, and then they're like, Daddy, help me with your homework. But right now, I'm free from homework, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, but there are things that I do half-heartedly. Um, I, I, I really don't enjoy cleaning the bathroom. That's not something that I enjoy doing. I, I do it, but I do it half-heartedly. There's no joy in my heart while I'm cleaning the toilet. I don't know about you, but it's just not something that brings joy to my life. It's, it's very half-hearted effort. Um, I, I, share, I share with those uh, teenagers, I said, the stage of life that I'm in right now, the, the thing that I probably do most half-heartedly is, um, I'm just going to be honest with you, is change diapers. That's, that's, that's what I do half-heartedly. 
I changed, changed diapers. And it's not fun. It's not fun. Are you with me on that? <laughs> That's good. James said it in my, in my wholeheartedly working my way into the doghouse. I still change them. I just do it half-heartedly, and I complain while I do it. Um, but, uh, no, I, I, I do it. I just, it's, it's just not, it's not something that I, I jump at the opportunity to, to change a dirty diaper. I think it's okay in some things to not necessarily be super excited about some of the tasks that we have to do. We still have to do them, but we don't have to be super excited about, about those opportunities that come our way. But there is something that would be a shame for us to do half-heartedly, and that is to follow Jesus. What a shame it would be for us to follow Jesus half-heartedly. Say, ah, that's something I've got to do today, but man... I sure wish there was something else to do. Oh, I'll do it, but man, it's just one of those things that just kind of gets old. And I'll do it, but as long as I just do the basics, I'm not going to go above and beyond. It's just not. It's just not worth it. See, that's the problem that the church at Laodicea had. They become lazy in their Christianity. They become apathetic towards the things of Christ, and Jesus is rebuking them for that. And there's this to, to understand what he's getting at when he uses the word lukewarm, what his what his um, uh, rebuke of them is. We even have to skip down all the way to verse 19 and we'll get here in just a moment. But notice what he tells them to do. Oftentimes, the solution helps us understand better what the problem is. He says in verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. See, that's their problem. They're not zealous. They're not enthusiastic about serving the Lord and walking with Jesus. It's not something that's bringing joy to their heart. It's not something that they are waking up in the morning going, yes, today I get to serve the Lord. They're just kind of, ah, about it. They've lost their enthusiasm. That's what the word zealous means. It means to strive after something. If I can, if I can. Pick on our students a little more to, to be zealous is in that context is to strive after that diploma. Like that's what my mind is fixed on. And so that's what gets me up and gets me to school and makes me do my work because I'm striving after that. I'm zealous for that prize. And they've lost sight of the prize for the church at Laodicea. And they're no longer enthusiastic about serving the Lord. And so Jesus has to rebuke them. And it's a strong rebuke. It's the only church that he doesn't say, hey, you're doing this well, but I have this against you. All the other churches, he's had something good to say about them, but not the lukewarm church. It's so nasty that he just wants to spit it out of his mouth. And I wonder, what does lukewarm Christianity look like? What are the areas in my life? What are the areas in your life where sometimes it's easy to slip into this apathetic, less than enthusiastic, lukewarm way of living the Christian life. Sometimes it's in our Bible study. Sometimes it's in our Bible study. Maybe we don't even read it. Or when we read it, we couldn't tell, we couldn't tell someone what we read because we were half asleep while we were reading it. We read it as quick as we could just so we could check it off our list. That's lukewarm Bible study. Maybe it's in our prayer life. Maybe we pray before we eat a meal or Pray before we take a test or pray before we go on a trip that God will give us safety or pray before I have a, I have a difficult conversation at work. Lord, please let this conversation with my boss go well. But that's pretty much the extent of our prayer life. 
And we're not pleading on one another's behalf. We're not singing and shouting the praises of God to Him in our prayers. We're lukewarm in our prayer life. Sometimes this has to do with our church involvement. Sometimes we're lukewarm in our attendance. We come when we feel like it, but as soon as there's any kind of excuse, we use that excuse to stay at home. Sometimes we come, but we're lukewarm in our attentiveness. I'm here and I'm checking that off my list, but I'm I'm really mentally checked out. I'm somewhere else. And so I'm not enthusiastic about the gathering of the church. I'm not enthusiastic about the singing. I'm not enthusiastic about the giving. I'm not enthusiastic about fellowshipping with one another. I'm not enthusiastic about the word being proclaimed and applying it to my life. I'm not enthusiastic about serving the Lord through my local church. Do what I can to get by, but that's the extent of it. Sometimes we're lukewarm in our serving the Lord at home with our families. Husbands, sometimes we're lukewarm in in loving our wives as Christ loved the church and being a loving leader of our home. We're apathetic about it. Wives, sometimes you're graciously submitting to your husband, but it's it's apathetic. It's it's lukewarm. You're not enthusiastic about serving the Lord in that area of your life. Parents, sometimes we're lukewarm in prioritizing the things of God with our children. We put things before it. We'd rather spend a weekend on the road playing sports and being encouraged in the Word, fellowshipping with our church family. We're lukewarm sometimes in honoring the Lord in our parenting. Sometimes, church, we're lukewarm in our pursuit of holiness. We know there's things in our lives that aren't pleasing to the Lord, but we just don't care enough to make the necessary changes. See, I know this part of my life is not something that pleases to the, is pleasing to the Lord. It's not an area of my life where God would say that I'm pursuing holiness. But I don't care enough to stop doing what I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing. Or to start doing what I'm not doing that God has called me to do. We're lukewarm in our pursuit of holiness. We're, we're not enthusiastic about seeking to do what God has said. Be holy, He says, for I am holy. What an incredible calling. And He's given us the Holy Spirit to do these things. And yet often we just don't really care. Finally, sometimes we're lukewarm in our evangelism. We know that we're supposed to share the gospel with people. But if we're honest, we don't take the time to do it. When I have an encounter with someone who doesn't know Christ, my lack of enthusiasm about Jesus results in me walking away having not shared the love of Jesus with that person who desperately needs to hear. I don't know about you, but there's more than one of those things that I'm convicted of. Being lukewarm in an area of my life. You know what Jesus says to that? It's disgusting to me. Those are harsh words coming from our Savior. That kind of Christianity is disgusting to Jesus. The problem is sometimes we deceive ourselves into thinking that we're just making Jesus so happy. And we pat ourselves on the back because we've given a half-hearted effort to a Savior who gave all for us. That doesn't make Jesus happy. It makes Him want to spit us out of His mouth. Notice what he goes on in verse 17. He says, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Isn't that what we often do? We deny that there's a problem. 
We say, oh, yeah, but I'm better off than this person. I, I'm doing I'm doing better than this person over here. Oh, but I am I am serving the Lord some. But it's a half hearted effort and we deny that there's a real problem. Notice what he says. He says, he says, you say I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. The city of Laodicea had a really bad earthquake 20 or 30 years before this letter was written. Now, earthquake pretty much decimated the city um, there at Laodicea. And the Roman government came in and tried to help them rebuild the city. But they were too proud to deny their need. And they rejected the offer of help. They said, we got this. We're good. We're good to go. That's what the city said. And again, Jesus drawing on their everyday life. He's saying, look around you. Your life spiritually has been decimated. But you're acting like everything is okay. But it's not. You're not giving me 100%. And I need you to open your eyes and see the state that you're in. Stop saying you're rich when you're poor. Stop saying you're prosperous when you're naked. Stop saying that you can see when you're blind. And when we think about that, it can leave us feeling kind of discouraged. Because I can look at my life and I know that there are areas where I'm not wholeheartedly following the Lord. And so if we stop right there, we walk away just discouraged. But here's the amazing thing about our Savior. Here's the beautiful thing about the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves us enough to point out the areas of our life where we're failing but He also loves us enough to tell us what we need to do to change. He doesn't want to leave us where we're at. He points out the faults and failures in our life not to make fun of us, but so, but so that we will change by His goodness and graciousness. And so, while this lazy Christianity is disgusting to Jesus, number two, we find this. That Jesus has what we need to be zealous in our Christianity. Jesus has what we need to be zealous in our Christianity. Notice what he says in verse 18. After he says, you're lukewarm. You say you're rich, but you're poor. You say you can see, but you're blind. You say you've prospered, but you're naked. Verse 18, I counsel you. So here's the solution. Jesus is saying, here's what you need to do about your lukewarmness. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. So that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Notice the practicality of this. They are poor. What do they need? They need some gold. That would be a great thing. Jesus says, I have the gold that you need. Jesus says, you are naked. But guess what? I have the clothes that you need. You are blind. But here's some good news. I have the ointment for your eyes that can make you see. 
Notice what Jesus is saying. Everywhere that you are lacking, everywhere that you're convicted of right now, and you say, I am lacking in this area of my Christian life, Jesus says, I have everything that you need. Don't go looking anywhere else, especially don't go looking to yourself. This isn't a message of here's where you're failing. Now pull up your bootstraps and start doing a better job. It's the message of here's where you are failing. But I'm here, Jesus says, and I have everything that you need to get out of this lukewarmness. I have the heat to make you hot. I have the coldness. I don't know what what the word is there to make you cold. I have what you need to to make you go from being pretty much useless to me and my kingdom to being of great worth and value and service to me and my kingdom. Isn't that amazing that Jesus has everything that we need? Everything. We don't have to go looking somewhere else. He has what we need to be zealous in our Christianity. He has what we need to move us from half-hearted devotion, which is really oxymoron. There's no such thing as half-hearted devotion. That's really not devotion at all. To full and complete devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. When I read that, I see a problem. I don't know if you, I don't know if you notice this problem here. This is problem in this solution that Jesus has given to the people. Remember their predicament. Metaphorically, spiritually speaking, he says they are poor, bankrupt spiritually. They are, they are naked spiritually. There's shame in their spiritual lives. They're not following the Lord Jesus. And, and, they, and they can't see. And so the solution, he says, is to buy from me what you need. I have everything you need. Now you've got to buy it. Well, Jesus... You just told us that we don't have anything. We're wiped out spiritually. How in the world can we buy from you if we don't have any money to pay you for what we need? That's the predicament that every person finds themselves in. That we need what Jesus offers, but we can do nothing to get it from him. In a way that would be paying him and him giving it to us because of our payment. We can't do that. So now I'm back. I'm kind of back in square one, right? I'm not following the Lord like I'm supposed to be as a Christian. Jesus points that out. He says, but wait, you can change. Here's what you need. Now buy it from me. And I say, but my pockets are empty, Lord. I, I can't do anything. So I read this, my verse goes to Isaiah chapter 55. And here's the beautiful truth about our Lord. Not only does he have what, he, what we need, but he graciously gives it to us. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1, we find these words. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Well, there's that same problem again in Isaiah. He who has no money, come buy and eat. And eat. But it goes on. Come buy, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? 
Listen diligent to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Here's the way that our God works. He says, you have a problem and here's what you need. And I have everything that you need to fix that problem. But you can't afford it. See, that's our problem. We can't afford what we need. We can't afford to pay Jesus for what we need. But he says, buy it without price. Without price to who? Everything costs something, right? Nothing free. It's a without price to us. He's the one who bears the price. He's the one who carries the price. He's saying, I've done everything that you need, and I will give it to you freely. Just receive it. Here's his offer, and here's his offer to us today. If you find an area of your life where you're not wholeheartedly serving the Lord, Jesus says, I will restore that area. I will, I will, I will make you serve me wholeheartedly. And I'm ready to do it. But you've got to let me do it. You've got to let me in. And that's where he goes next. Notice the third truth here. That Jesus not only has what we need, but he loves us enough to give us what we need to replace our apathy with zeal. He not only has what we need, but he loves us enough to give us what we need. Look at verse 19. The most beautiful words in this passage. Those whom I love. Do you know the good news of this passage? Jesus tells this church, you are disgusting to me. And then he says, I love you. Wow. What hope. What joy that fills our souls with. That Jesus could actually be... be displeased with me, and yet that hasn't changed His love for me. Don't walk out of here thinking that Jesus hates you. Jesus loves you so much that He gives you everything that you need. And what is it that you need? He says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Oftentimes, I think we take that verse out of context and we, we use that verse to talk about someone who doesn't know Jesus getting saved. But remember, he's writing to Christians. He's telling Christians, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Here's what's happened to the church at Laodicea. Here's why they've become lukewarm. Here's why they've lost their zeal. They shut Jesus out. They've lost their focus on Christ. They're not overwhelmed by His love and His goodness and His mercy. They're not consumed with His power and His might and His glory. And Jesus is saying, I'm knocking, Christian. And you know how good it is when you love me. You know how good it is when you serve me. You've experienced my love and my mercy and my grace. But somewhere along the way, you've allowed other things in life to crowd me out of your heart. And so I'm standing knocking. And I have everything that you need to restore that joy of your salvation. Just let me back in. And notice the blessing. 
the one who conquers. I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus is ready to bless the socks off of the church at Laodicea. He is ready to fill their lives back with that joy. He he is ready for them to serve Him and be useful to Him in His kingdom. But they will never do it. They'll never be the people that God has called them to be. They allow other things in life to crowd out the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice His graciousness. Verse 19, He gives rebuke. That's a good thing. He gives his rebuke. He takes the time to tell them where they're doing wrong. He gives them an opportunity to repent. He says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. To repent means to turn away. He's saying, turn away from your lukewarmness. Turn away from your laziness in your Christian walk. Turn away from it. Here's your opportunity, church. And I wonder if today God is giving you an opportunity. Giving me an opportunity. To turn from some laziness in our walk with the Lord. He graciously gives us rebuke. He graciously gives us an opportunity to repent. And He graciously gives restoration of fellowship. Notice what happens. He says, if you'll repent, if you'll be zealous for me, I will come in and I will eat with you. And you will eat with me. That was a mark of fellowship. A fellowship that they... Somewhat lost. Because right now they are disgusting to Jesus. He says, repent and be zealous in your walk. Be enthusiastic about serving me. And I'll come in and dine with you. And our relationship will be what it's supposed to be. You'll no longer be disgusting in my mouth. But ultimately what Jesus gives is himself. He is the one that needs to come in. It's Him. And He's ready to walk into their hearts. He's ready to walk into their lives. He's ready to walk into the lukewarmness of the Christianity that they're living and to warm it up or cool it off. Whichever analogy you want to use. But He's willing to walk right into the middle of the mess they've made of their spiritual lives and clean it all up. To set them back on the right track. It's Him that they need. It's Him that they've forgotten. He's ready to come in. All they got to do is open up the door. Psalm chapter 51 verse 10 says this. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. If I could put that in the language of Revelation chapter 3. Don't spit me out of your mouth, Jesus. The psalmist continues, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Perhaps that needs to be your cry today. Where are you not serving the Lord wholeheartedly? Don't ignore his rebuke. Don't miss this opportunity to repent. Open your heart to him and be restored just like he promises will happen. Let me close by speaking to a few different groups of people. First, to the one who may be here who's not a Christian. If you're here today and you say all this stuff about repentance and following Jesus and, and I used to follow him wholeheartedly, but, but now I'm, I'm not. 
I've never followed Jesus. I don't even know what you're talking about. The love of Christ and forgiveness and, and the joy of salvation. I don't, I've never experienced that. Can I tell you something? He's not writing this to you. You're not disgusting to Jesus. He's not telling you that he's ready to spit you out of your mouth if you're not a Christian. You know what Jesus' attitude towards you is? Compassion. He looks at those who are lost and he weeps with compassion. And he is ready to rescue you from your sin today. Jesus came and he did everything necessary to pay the price for your sin through his death on the cross. It should have been you. It should have been me. But he paid the price for your sin. And so if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I, don't, I can't look into your heart. Only you know that and God knows that. If you're here today and you have never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are not disgusting to Jesus. He looks on you with compassion. He loves you. You are rebelling against him, yes, but he is more than ready to rescue you from your sin if you will call out to him, placing your faith and trust in him. Let me speak to the second group, to the Christian here who is serving the Lord wholeheartedly. And many of you I know are. Maybe still there's an area of your life where you say, I, I know that this is an area where I'm not, I'm not serving the Lord. By all means, repent and, and serve Him. But He's not talking to you when He says that you're disgusting to Him. If you're hot or cold, if you're being of use in His kingdom, you're serving Him with all that you have. Not perfectly, but you are giving Him 100%. You're not disgusting to Jesus today. You're pleasing Him. What's the opposite of being disgusting? Being delicious, right? Something that brings joy, pleasure. And that's what Jesus thinks of you if you are serving Him wholeheartedly. Third and final group. The apathetic, lazy, half-hearted Christian. I just got to say it like it is. Jesus is disgusted with you. That's the group that disgusts Jesus. People who would have tasted the goodness of the Lord. People who would have experienced the graciousness of His salvation. And then said, I don't have time for you, Jesus. That disgusts Him. Jesus did not give himself half-heartedly to the task of saving us. You want evidence of that? Look at his arms stretched out on the cross. He did not give himself half-heartedly to the task of saving us. Scripture says he set his face to Jerusalem. He would not be tempted by Satan with the riches of this world. He would not be tempted even by the well-intentioned but, but ill-informed desire of his disciples. Especially that one Peter who said, oh Lord, you won't die. And he said, get behind me, Satan. There's no half-heartedness in his effort to save. In his willingness to save. He gave his all. So why would we think that he would be pleased with our half hearted efforts in serving him. He gave his all to save us. 
why wouldn't we give our all to serve Him? Are you lukewarm today? Is Jesus disgusted with you today? Jesus cannot stand lazy service to Him. But here's the good news. If you're in that third category, here's the good news. He graciously gives us what we need to zealously serve Him. He graciously restores us. He gets us out of that lukewarmness. And He gets us back on track, giving Him 100%. Jesus has what we need and He is ready to give us what we need. That's the good news. The question before us today is will we open the door to Him? Will you let Him come in and revive your soul? Get rid of that half-heartedness. And set you back on the track of serving Him with full and complete and joyful, glad devotion all of your days. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a challenging passage from Your Word. Father, if we're all honest as Christians, there's probably in all of us an area where we're not giving you 100%. Father, maybe it's in our Bible study, maybe it's in our prayer life, maybe it's in our church involvement, maybe it's at home with our families, maybe it's out in the community and sharing the gospel with people. Father, maybe it's in our pursuit of holiness. Lord, we're not giving ourselves to putting away sin and following hard after Christ. Lord, convict us. Make it hurt. Father, make it hurt in me if there's an area where I am not giving you 100% devotion. But Father, right with that rebuke comes Your grace. Comes Your words that, yes, You are lukewarm, but yes, I still love You. And I'm ready Come in. Come back in. For those areas of your life where you kind of ignored me. To be king and ruler of those areas of your heart once again. Father, if there be any lukewarmness in us. Father, help us to get rid of it. Not on our own strength. With our own power. But simply by letting you come in and clean us up. Father, I don't know what you're putting on individual hearts and minds here today. Father, I just pray that in this moment, that whatever you're calling us to do, we will be obedient. If it's to repent, that we would repent. That we will be broken before you. Father, if it's to be encouraged to reign steadfast, In serving You, help us to be encouraged to remain steadfast in giving You 100%. Father, protect us from becoming lukewarm. Father, remind us that You gave Your all for us. Why would we give You anything less than all that we are? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.